Hello and welcome to the Soundtrack Sisters. I am Gloria Bradford, film score composer and audio production editor. I have a bachelor's of music and film scoring composition from Berklee College of Music and a minor in writing for television and new media. I'm beyond excited to share the millions of thoughts I have whenever I watch a movie. I believe that music can express ideas where words fail us. The majority of my work in education has been focused on composition and synthetic audio production, and I'm excited to discuss the various functions of music and film. Yay! Woo! I'm Brenna Emmelkamp, performer and film music lover. I earned my degree in piano performance from Colorado State University, and I am currently studying my master's in collaborative piano at Boston University, although I'm taking a leave of absence for my baby. Baby time! <laughs> Much of my work is very performance-focused, and one thing I love about collaborative piano is the, well, collaboration. (laughs) Um, And hopefully that will give us some insight on the collaboration that happens with film scores. Welcome to our episode. Now, Brenna, imagine this. You're out in the world, enjoying your best life, and you meet someone who shares our affinity of film music. You ask this new friend, who's your favorite film score composer? What do you think they'll say? I would imagine the odds are pretty high that the answer will be John Williams. (laughs) In fact, I think you were the first person I met who did not say John Williams right off the bat. (laughs) Not that he's bad. No, not that he's bad at all. I would assume the same. (laughs) John Williams is the OG of film music, the goat, the man, the inspiring, the influential. If you ask the average Joe Schmo to name five film score composers, anyone can provide you with John Williams, but might struggle to come up with other four. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Why is that indeed? This episode of the podcast, we will review the catalog and influence of John Williams. And eventually, along the way in another episode, we will compare his themes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and those themes. We will answer important questions like, why is John Williams so popular? And what is John Williams known for? Is he really the bee's knees? And who is this John Williams guy anyway? Our story starts from Wikipedia. (laughs) We promise we're credible, (laughs) which informs us that in 1948, when the Williams family moved to Los Angeles, Williams attended North Hollywood High School. His father was a jazz musician and had a significant impact on his life, as fathers do. Uh, Williams performed as a jazz pianist in many bands and ensembles. In 1951, he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force, where he played, performed, conducted, and arranged music. In 1955, Williams moved to New York City and entered the Juilliard School, (laughs) like all of us musicians, Mm -hmm. no, with the intention of becoming a concert pianist. During this period, Williams worked as a jazz pianist in many of New York's clubs. Can you imagine if you went to some random club and heard him play, and then 20 years later, he's famous and you're like, wait a minute, that's that's that guy. I know that guy. (laughs) You never know. You never know. (laughs) Anyway. It was during this time that Williams shifted his focus to composition. Following Juilliard, Williams studied at the Eastman School of Music and then moved to Los Angeles, where he began working as an orchestrator in the film industry. So basically, he was super brilliant. In conjunction with orchestration, William performed as a studio pianist and session musician in Los Angeles, performing on scores from big-name composers like Jerry Goldsmith, Leonard Bernstein, and Henry Mancini. Specifically, Williams performed with Mancini, scores like Peter Gunn, Days of Wine and Roses. Shout out to Peter Gunn. I performed the Peter Gunn title theme in my jazz band when I was in high school, just like John Williams performed the piano part. But that's about all, all we have 
in common. More than me. (laughs) Additionally, Williams was the pianist for Leonard Bernstein's soundtrack for West Side Story. During this period, John Williams was known as Johnny Williams and released under the name Johnny Williams on several albums. I find it personally refreshing to reflect that John Williams had a period of time where he was just working in the industry as a performer Mm -hmm. and not as the big composer he didn't just wake up one day and was the biggest compositional name in hollywood that's not how it works works. (laughs) williams had to build his career over time and worked under these some very big names in the industry john williams wasn't always john williams he used to be little old johnny williams i feel like that's inspiring is like you too could be johnny williams or john williams (laughs) perhaps there is a john williams potential in all of us It's a very sweet thought indeed. It's like Harry Potter said, every great wizard in history started out as nothing more than we are now, students, except with whatever else we are doing. (laughs) Unless you're a wizard, then be a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, around 1960, Hollywood started to notice Williams and his ability to compose for jazz, piano, and symphonic orchestra. Williams earned his first Academy Award in 1971 for the score adaptation of Fiddler on the Roof. In 1974, Steven Spielberg would start to work with Williams and both would find great success in the film Jaws. This was a huge break for Williams and honestly Spielberg too because Jaws without the music would probably be a terrible movie. They had all sorts of awful production problems and the fake shark kept falling apart. But with just a few notes, Williams successfully created a theme that changed the entire outcome of the movie. As Jack Black says in The Holiday, two notes and you have a villain. (laughs) Because of the success of this movie, due mostly to the soundtrack, and I mean, Spielberg is great, but due mostly to the soundtrack, (laughs) um, Spielberg subsequently recommended Williams to his fellow friend and director, George Lucas. And we all know how that turned out. Yes, in 1977, the epic space movie Star Wars entered the world. This was another film saved by William's score. Star Wars is great, but if you listen to the dialogue, it's kind of a disaster. Lucas has envisioned creating this amazing space opera, um, but without the score of John Williams, it wouldn't have been quite the success. Nope. I mean, not everyone has seen Star Wars, but I'm sure everyone has heard Star Wars music yeah if you haven't i don't know how you've missed that. that's impressive <laughs> yeah uh following the huge success of star wars williams collaborated with spielberg on more movies as well as with many other directors and george lucas included um he scored for home alone schindler's list jurassic park and a lot more movies during the 90s entering the 2000s williams composed for the harry potter movies as well the first three mm-hmm. all that being said and a simple of an overview of williams bio Just up to this point, Williams has been nominated for 53 Academy Awards winning five, six Emmy Awards winning three, 25 Golden Globe Awards winning four, 71 Grammy Awards winning 25, and received seven British Academy Film Awards. Wow. (laughs) Williams currently holds the record for the most Oscar nominations for a living person with 53 Oscar nominations and is the second most nominated person in the Academy Awards following Walt Disney. That's crazy. Yeah. Williams is the only person to be nominated for an Academy Award in each decade for seven decades consecutively from 1960 to 2020. (laughs) Williams is the oldest person at age 90 to be nominated. So, if that's not all, 
It's not. 48 of Williams' Oscar nominations are for Best Original Score, and five are for Best Original Song. So naturally, Williams is inducted into the American Classical Music Hall of Fame, as well as the Hollywood Bowl Hall of Fame. Okay, okay. Yes, Williams is impressive. That's impressive. Very much. But what does Williams' music sound like, and why does everyone know his music? To discuss that... We need to first stop and step into our history lesson of the day. Yay! Yay! Take your mind back to the 1850s. In the United States, this is the season of the Fugitive Slave Act being passed, which would require the forcible return of escaped slaves in the North, the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin, and the first installation of the elevator. However, in Europe, romantic music was exploding in both popularity and development. This is post-Beethoven, Chopin, and Mendelssohn, and about the time of Brahms, late Schumann, Liszt, and in Germany, there was a composer who was rapidly anti-Semitic, but a composer nonetheless, by the name of Richard Wagner, spelled W-A-G-N-E-R. To make a long story short, Wagner composed a series of epic music dramas, Epic here being similar to epic poems, meaning super lengthy and about extraordinary topics. Not just really cool. This series called Der Ring des Nibelungen, or The Ring of the Nibelung, or something, <laughs> is roughly based on uh, Germanic heroic characters. Fun fact, Tolkien based The Lord of the Rings off of the same legend. Wagner called the epic music drama Bühnenfestspiel, or something like that, <laughs> a stage festival play covering 15 hours split into four operas. It is often referred to as the Ring Cycle, Wagner's Ring Series, or The Ring. Even if you think you've never heard of these before, you have, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Embedded in common musical culture is a theme from the Ring Series called The Ride of the Valkyries. Yes, this is the part of Looney Tunes where Elmer Fudd is singing killed a wabbit <laughs> and Bugs Bunny is dressed like a Valkyrie or something. Other prominent themes from the Ring series include the theme for Valhalla and the sword. That all being said, the main point is this. In the Ring cycle, Wagner uses these themes, themes representing items or characters consistently over the entire Bühnenfestspiel. I hope I said that right. <laughs> this repeated theme technique is called a leitmotif. We talked about this briefly in our first episode, but to refresh you, the term leitmotif derives from the German term leading motif. The primary function is a musical phrase that represents a certain character, place, or idea that contributes to the narrative. To say that one more time, a leitmotif is a musical technique where a composer writes a music phrase to represent a character or item and uses that consistently over the musical or film. But Brenna, what does Bruhenfischspiel have to do with John Williams? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Williams, as a composer, frequently implements leitmotif within the movies that he composes for. In fact, I don't know of a single movie where he doesn't have some kind of leitmotif. Williams will frequently write a theme for a movie character or idea and use that one theme over and over and over and over again to help implement the music and idea into the mind of the audience. Oh, so you mean William composes in a way where one melodic theme is repeated over and over and over and over again to help cement the idea for the audience? Exactly. One theme repeated over and over and over and over again helps the audience to pay attention to important elements, characters, or items in a movie. 
Another important thing to mention before we exit our history lesson for the day is that as film music developed, many of the first composers were orchestrators who wrote for symphonic orchestras. We'll do a deep dive later for film music history in another episode, but Williams as a composer is very inspired by the musical history, pulling from composers like Aaron Copland, Eric Korngold, and Jerry Goldsmith. But Gloria, why does that make Williams' music so well known? Well, I'm glad you ask. To be concise, I simplified the list of four reasons. I'm sure you could find more, but today we got four. Yep. First, John Williams is a good composer. Scratch that. John Williams is an extremely talented composer. Mm -hmm. His melodies in his music are easy to sing, which makes them easier to remember. One might compare him to a modern-day Mozart, whose themes are so well-known because of their tuniness. That's the ability to... They, they're easily sing and so can be remembered. The simplified melody added to the rich textual experience of a full orchestra is impactful for the audience. This is a quote I found about William's skill from Jay Strauss. As a person who has both studied with John Williams and has been a faculty member at the Juilliard School, I can say unequivocally that John Williams is the greatest musician I have ever met and historically holds an equivalent position to Beethoven in the realm of film music. Let me give you an example, he continues. I studied with John while I was a composer fellow at Tanglewood Music Festival in the late 1990s. It was a life-altering experience, and there were only five of us, and we had seminars, private lessons, as well as concerts where we scored film cues and conducted the orchestra. I can say... What I can say is that however good you think he is, I promise you he's a thousand times better than you can possibly imagine. At the time, I was on faculty at the Juilliard School and not a person who was easily impressed. I was skeptical about film composition in general, especially since many Hollywood composers didn't even read music and hired conservatory-trained composers like myself to do a lot of the work. One day, I came into my lesson with my orchestra score to meet John and was really disappointed because there was not a piano in the room. He says, I don't need a piano. And put in the VHS type and hits play and immediately starts beating the tempo in sync with the video without a click track. He got the perfect tempo. John then proceeded to sing back the entire orchestra, all of the parts, yes, all of them, in time with the film while pointing out all the mistakes in the score on the first time around. It was the most impressive display of musicianship I have ever seen. Close quote. Wow. <laughs> uh, for those of you who have taken an ear training class or have tried to sight sing a piece of music, you understand what a skill of musicianship this is. This is like going back to Mozart. I remember hearing a story about him, how like he was in a cathedral and like listening to something that it was forbidden to write down and he listened to it once and then like just transcribed it all because of course he had it all memorized so mm -hmm. sounds kind of similar to that uh, but for those of you who don't know this is like kind of the musician's equivalent of Michelangelo not needing to write in his marble and just start it chipping away at the block or watching someone juggle 20 items and not drop anything it's not a talent that you see every day Exactly. Secondly, on our list, Williams frequently uses leitmotif within the movie he composes, which allows the audience to listen to one melody dozens of times over the course of the film. The repetition, in addition to the singability of the melody, causes the audience to remember the music more. Right. As we mentioned earlier, anything repeated multiple times is going to be remembered more easily. Regarding Williams's work specifically, not only are important themes repeated, but they're beautiful as well, which is kind of a double, double whammy. Third... Williams has had the benefit of being connected with several popular movies and movie franchises. 
For example, Star Wars grossed $410 million worldwide during its initial run, surpassing Jaws to become the highest grossing film, only to be surpassed by E.T., the extraterrestrial, which grossed $775 million. All three of these movies were composed by John Williams. And those numbers, by the way, that's like way back forever ago. That's in the 70s. So, 70s millions. Imagine. <laughs> Additionally, Williams' affiliation with Harry Potter has meant that his musical themes have been in those movies since 2001 when the first movie was released. Even after he stopped composing for Harry Potter, the other composers mm-hmm. still took the same themes. In addition, circling back to Star Wars, the first episode was released in 1977, which means that the themes have had 46 years to permeate culture, and we are still going with this universe. I would argue that Williams' music will remain in culture for another generation easily because of how popular these movies are. The Star Wars and Harry Potter franchises are still continuing to grow, and as you said, they will come back just like Jurassic Park did. Lastly, reflecting on the symphonic style William uses that refers back to the older film styles, I would argue that another reason why Williams was so well remembered, especially when starting, is because he brought back this big, lush orchestra technique in an era when composers were implementing digital instruments into the scores. This is a contrast to what other movies were released, which would make them stand out. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that a lot of movies at that time were also using contemporary music uh, with just random bands, such as in The Graduate, they used Simon and Garfunkel. Um, And like a bunch of 80s movies Mm -hmm. did that. (laughs) And it kind of dates them. So Williams brought back the older film style reminiscent of Corn Gold and also reminiscent of classical music. Um, And this, like you said, oddly made him stand out. And it heralded in a new era of film composition because basically everyone after John Williams has based the way they approach it off the style turn that he took. Um, And it's, it's just, you know, like I don't say that Williams is my favorite composer necessarily, but that's not to say that he isn't a really good composer. Mm -hmm. So changed a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Gloria, how does all this compare to the MCU? Well, Britta, I'm glad you asked because that will be our topic as we continue this conversation. The next episode, there was too much to include in one sitting due to time constraints. We're not able to write everything down because Brenna's got a baby and I'm in school and there's a lot going on, but stay tuned for part two on the Williams and MCU deep dive. We will continue this conversation at a later point. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. (laughs) That's a wrap for this episode of the soundtrack sisters. If you enjoyed this episode or think someone else may enjoy it, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing and feel free to share with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram at the soundtrack sisters, all one word, all lowercase. Give us a follow and let us know what you would like to hear from this show. Thanks. Thanks.